0: This programme was produced at and first aired on MPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand on air. Kapai Irarangi Temotu, MPR. If you're enjoying this podcast in Manawatu, you could make your very own, just like this one. MPR exists to help people like you tell your story or share your passion on air and online. Check out mpr.nz for more information.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's show of Property Matters. I'm Greg Watson and this show in its short format just brings us a little bit of news and what's happening around the world of real estate and property. We'll probably start locally with a little bit about the Okautri rezoning, then we'll move on to what's happening with the rental market and uh, moving on to have a discussion about Auckland's most expensive rental property. Uh, quite a lot of rental stuff today. We'll also talk a bit about um, some landlords being fined by uh, putting tenants into very poor conditions. And if we have time, we're going to talk a little bit about the market for sales in terms of what's happening with investors. So that's what we've got a little bit on the show today. Starting with this article by Janine Rankin on stuff.co.nz, O'Calthorpe rezoning takes effect immediately. So further urban development at Palmerston North's elevated suburb of Okautry will have to comply with rules not yet written into the district plan. The City Council has been granted an Environment Court order that the rules proposed in Plan Change G for Okautry take effect immediately. The Council sought the order because it was facing the prospect of development applications, including one for a retirement village, that would be allowed under current rules but would undermine future plans to create a better connected neighbourhood. The proposed rezoning, complete with a structure plan to guide the growth of the suburb, has been publicly notified and submissions have closed, but the matter has not yet been to a hearing for a Commissioner's decision. The rezoning would convert 454 hectares of rural land to a mix of residential, local business, conservation and amenity uses, creating sections for more than 1,000 new conventional and medium-density housing units. So it's pretty large expansion there, 454 hectares. I always work on a hectare as being the size of a rugby field or a football field, a hockey field if you like. So 454 of those. So the change was sought to help correct and avoid the proliferation of the results of ad hoc development that council planners said had resulted in poor protection of gullies, a proliferation of long dead-end streets, and a neighbourhood with no viable community hub. The new structure plan identified a location for a neighbourhood centre with a few shops surrounded by medium-density housing, possibly including a retirement village. That all sounds pretty good. Council Principal Planner Michael Duendam said that the part of the plan needed to be protected ahead of a final decision on the plan change. The council had received a resource consent application for a five-lot subdivision where it wanted to locate the business zone and more intensive housing and also he was expecting to receive the application from the retirement village outside the council's preferred location for it. So Judge Brian Dwyer's decision in the council's favour explained the intention that rules did not take effect until the public submission and decision-making process was complete should not be set aside lightly, but he accepted the council's evidence that continuing with the low-level regulatory approach of the past could see poor outcomes in the area continue. It would be good for more infrastructure up there for people living there Uh, They've got the existing shopping centre but we're talking about quite a large expansion in terms of area and there will need to be those things put in there as well. So it's the second time in a decade the council's been successful in gaining what you could call an unusual order. On the previous occasion in 2015, an order was made to avoid a gold rush of speculative subdivision applications. The effect was to protect rural land from being split up into lifestyle blocks while awaiting the decision on a rule to increase the minimum lot size for rural zone subdivisions from 4 hectares to 20 hectares. So we're going to see what happens there, but that's a bit of an an update. Uh, Certainly good to see that the council is putting some protections in place to make sure that Palms North is the nicest place to live, uh, that uh, we could possibly make it. So now we're just going to another article. We're going to move on to some rental matters now because a lot's been happening in this space. And this article, uh, recently from Jared and Can on Stuff Business, says how to stabilise a fundamentally changed rental market. So rents stalled, costs are increasing, and a brain drain. So how can the rental market be changed to reduce the turbulence? According to this article, the rental market is undergoing arguably the biggest changes since the state-led building boom of the 1970s as a maelstrom of reverse trends and policy changes put a squeeze on landlords. Investors banking on large tax-free capital gains to compensate for, modern, uh, for modest rental returns are looking at falling house prices, higher home loan repayments, stalled rents and higher compliance costs. Many landlords are also facing higher tax bills as the ability to deduct mortgage interest costs from rental earnings are phased out, which Deloitte says will make many rentals loss making. Hard to to justify investing in something if it's making a loss, uh, you could say, tends to make you hope like heck that you're going to get that capital gain. The government's move made many investors de facto playbook to take on large debts in order to subtract interest payments from rental income and then cash in on capital gains is no longer feasible. Adding to the storm is a brain drain that is taking some of the highest paying tenants, that being young professionals, overseas where wages are higher and the cost of living lower, contributing to stagnant population growth. And it's been argued that the law of supply and demand abandoned the market during the pandemic, with prices inflating despite supply of new homes surging and population stagnant. However, the price surge created by rock-bottom interest rates and the relaxation of borrowing limits for investors has vanished, and demand appears once again to be the driving force of the market. This is certainly the case in one or two without a doubt. There's still good demand. so This provides a good starting point to look at ways to stabilise the rental market reducing the brain drain by making more rentals more attractive and affordable. That's what this article is generally about. One of the suggestions here is to create a rental warrant of fitness and the government took the first meaningful steps towards improving the country's poor rental stock by introducing healthy home standards in 2019. And since July of last year, private rental properties have had to comply within 90 days of any new or renewed tenancy but. But one inspection company found in October only 60% of rentals assessed were fully compliant, and experts say widespread compliance is not happening quickly enough. Renters United spokesman Geordie Rogers supports the idea of a rental warrant of fitness, saying it moves the obligation onto the landlord. He says a car salesman needs to prove their product is safe and comfortable, and homes are no difference. But Auckland Property Investors Association General Manager Serena Gibbon takes a different view and says the market should give healthy homes a chance before moving on to the next shiny thing, in her words. Another way to try and stabilise the market. Now, this is not necessarily an article that I agree with, I must say, uh, but nevertheless, uh, they could set caps on rental increases. Rents are already elevated far above pre-pandemic levels, but more recently, rises have been constrained by reduction in demand and a glut of supply probably caused by properties failing to sell being returned to the rental pool, which I'd certainly agree with that. As investors lose 25% of their ability to deduct mortgage interest each year, they might be tempted to try and jack up the rents, particularly if they have tenants who want to stay in place. Now, currently the law does not limit how much landlords can increase rent by, but it does say how increases must be handled, and that landlords can only increase rent once a year. If a landlord is charging substantially more than other similar properties in the area, the tenant can apply to Tenancy Tribunal, which can make an order for the rent to be reduced. But Rogers wants a hard rent increase cap and says tenants are living in fears of rents that could legally increase $100 or more per week. He says a cap would ideally be tied to the most recent consumer price index inflation figures once contributions from accommodation costs were removed. He said this would allow landlords to increase rent but not beyond the additional costs they face. Now Given disagrees and says there are already enough controls in place and Section 25 of the Residential Tenancies Act limits rent at the market rate which she feels is fair and reasonable. She says rent caps would incentivise landlords to trim costs which would lead to reduced repair and maintenance and there is evidence of that uh, from other countries. Encouraging long-term tenancies. This is an idea that both that both Rogers and Gibbon endorse. He says longer tenancies result in tenants being more engaged with the community and who take pride in their home, which lead to lower maintenance costs. Gibbon agrees and says the government policy should be focused on encouraging longer tenancies because they are a win-win. Transiency is not a basis for strong relationships, she says. The government is making build-to-rent developers offer long-term tenancies in exchange for perpetual Interest deductibility, that's great, but most tenants don't live and build to rents, so why stop there? We think a more effective way to achieve security of tenure right now is to restore the perpetual interest deductibility to any landlord who offers long-term tenancies. Well, that sounds like a good idea, so, but uh, good ideas don't necessarily uh, go down too well in the current environment. Bring back the ability for landlords to deduct interest where they're offering nice homes under a long-term Another suggestion here was to create a landlord register. So currently there are private companies that allow investors to vet tenants. And you can do background checks and that sort of thing for as little as $15. But there's no similar service to vet a landlord unless a tenant manually searches a tenancy tribunal website. Rogers wants a register saying there is currently no meaningful way of tenants to check if their potential landlord is a good one or see if they are serial offenders for providing substandard housing or failing to return bonds. Right now we don't know who our landlords are. Now Gibbons against the idea, this is the property investment people, saying people are averse to having their names on a public register. If there must be a register of some sort, they want to see it being well controlled in a cost effective way by an independent body containing information of everyone in the rental sector, landlords, property managers and tenants. Gibbons was in support of public programmes that empower tenants to hold landlords to account and she says it will go a long way to disincentivise delinquent landlords. We could also look at requiring all rental advertisements to positively disclose the property's level of healthy home standards compliance to publicly differentiate between complying and non-complying properties. That's a good idea. And finally, the regulation of property managers. In February, the government proposed a licensing scheme which would make property managers who manage tenancies on behalf of landlords subject to a code of compliance and a fit and proper person test. Just by way of uh, reminder, the current property management Industry is unregulated, it's seriously scary. So tenants or landlords would be able to complain about the behaviour of property managers and individuals or organisations could face levies. The Property Investors Federation and Real Estate Institute welcomed the proposals but the Real Estate uh, Residential Property Managers Association was not impressed. Consultation closed in April with focus areas being the establishment of professional entry standards Practice standards, registration and licensing requirements, and increased accountability through an independent disciplinary and complaints resolution process. Now, Rogers supports the government's plans. It wants to see the requirements extended to private landlords, and that's my opinion as well. Who he says they have equal power over tenants' lives and should be held to the same level of professionalism. So, Gibbon says All, more for regulation, as long as it is not a rubber stamping exercise, it adds cost to the business. So. Uh, it would be great that anybody managing a property, a rental property has qualifications and uh, I've been in favour and I've put in my submission to, to the committee uh, two levels, um, basic training, um, if you imagine a le- learner's licence <laughs> in terms of driving, so basic training for all landlords regardless of how many properties that they have and then uh, more advanced courses for property managers uh, so that they can differentiate with a level of skill that makes their uh, occupation worth doing. But they should absolutely have courses compulsory, the same way as if you uh, are going to drive a car, you need a driver's licence. Uh, really, landlords should have a licence showing that they have training and competency to be able to abide by the rules and provide a safe and healthy home for tenants because so many cases going through Tenancy Tribunal are actually private landlords, yet the desire to regulate the property management industry is probably missing about 80% by volume of the landlords in the country. Or the properties in the country, I should say. So 80% of the properties in the country would be missed by that legislation if it comes through. I'd rather have something that covers 100%, which seems to be the logical way of doing things. This article by Miriam Bell just recently says rent increases are stabilising but at a high level. She says high rents continue to put the squeeze on tenants but new figures show rent growth is easing so the rate in which rents are increasing is easing off and it is noticeable if compared to price inflation in other areas. The broader rental market's 4.1% annual increase was the same as last month's and only slightly up on August's figure of 4.0. In contrast with TradeMe Me Property's latest rental figures which showed the national median rent being asked on the site was up 7.5% over the year, just ahead of the 7.2% rate of inflation. I would uh, argue that it's reasonable considering the uh, rate of inflation that uh, rents go up a similar level because ultimately all of the costs associated with property management with owning a property would be going up as well. So where does that uh, leave us here in the Manawatu? Well, in Manawatu, rents have gone up 9% in the last 12 months. Of course, rent increases are generally supply and demand based. They're not based uh, on landlords just recouping costs because tenants will only pay what they feel a property is worth given the market. Inframetrics principal economist Brad Olsen said me's figures probably better reflected how new tenancies were shifting, but its data did not have the breadth of the stats New Zealand figures were based on. And while the measures were different, the trend being measured was actually moving in a similar direction, and it indicated rental growth was starting to slow, he said. It does depend a bit on what part of the country you're in, but the national rate is stabilizing, and although rents are high, there has been some pullback in the amount of increases. The easing was being driven by new supply coming on the market and a net annual migration loss of which the largest group was 20 to 29-year-olds who are the prime rental group, he said. But the rate of inflation contrasted with that of other products. Food prices were up 8% in the CPI data and they jumped 10.1% in October, the biggest increase in 14 years. So the rise in food prices is shocking, but food prices tended to be more volatile than rent prices because the rents do not have the capacity to change regularly as food prices do. So it's pretty hard uh, for tenants. Uh, Many tenants are struggling due to the cost of living crisis and they were doing things to save on rent such as looking for cheaper places and getting in extra flatmates according to Property Investors Federation Andrew King. So rent increases are currently lower than general inflation, so landlords aren't overly contributing to tenant cost increases, says uh, he says. But the important thing to know here is um, in our area, demand is meaning that the increases have been uh, a little bit over 9% over a 12-month period. So um, for every... $100 of rent you're charging, a reasonable rent increase to be just in line with the market would be $9 for every 100 that you're charging. So that's just a bit of a guide there so that you're putting rents up uh, in line with the market. So let's go now to Auckland's most expensive rental with no pets allowed. The most expensive rental property on the market is going for $4,850 a week but you can forget about taking your pet. The architecturally designed executive home in the affluent suburb of Remuera is only a short drive from the city, new market shops and reputable schools. In this article by Emma clark Dow on stuff.co.nz, it's a five bedroom, five bathroom home, includes a four car garage, heated swimming pool, tennis court, dance studio, sauna, sunbed, a bar and a game room with a pool table. It's the home, this may or may not mean anything to you, it's 834 square metres uh, surrounded by, and that's probably, I'll just do some quick maths, uh, do, 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 uh, about uh, five average size households or four large households of floor area. Uh, so it's surrounded by well-kept gardens, a large amount of land estimated to be over, over 4,000 square metres. According to estimates, property could be worth over $18 million, and it's got a picture of it here, it's really um, pretty amazing. So Catherine Goodwin, a friend of mine, and the managing director of real estate agency Goodwin's, which holds the dominant share in the executive home rentals, said the type of tenant attracted to these homes was incredibly varied. Some of them may be relocating internationally, coming to New Zealand for the first time, or some of them may be coming to Auckland for a job with only their suitcase, Goodwin said. We have families who have sold a home but aren't yet ready to purchase, so they decide to rent for a couple of years. We work with a lot of people in the film and media industry. There's really no single type. Another one that we have uh, closer to Wellington, uh, Palmers North, etc. is sometimes you have embassies renting houses for their staff. So in early 2001, when New Zealand had no COVID-19 cases, Goodwin said Aotearoa had become a preferred location for film productions looking to house their stars. And there's various pictures of this home on this article. It's just stunning indeed. So as for the people that are renting out luxury properties, Goodwin said landlords were also varied. They may own the home but have relocated or retired to a different part of New Zealand and want to retain it, or they may be abroad and have bought a home but don't plan on coming here just yet, she says. Rent could be an important source of income for a landlord who had moved into retirement accommodation, Goodwin said. The remue rent was first listed on April 28th, uh, which Goodwin said was very unusual. If a listing isn't moving, it may be to do with the asking price or one of the other conditions of the property, she said. So the average rent for Auckland properties is $626 per week. So <laughs> it's pretty amazing. I don't know if I'd pay 4800 in fact... Um, that does work out doing quick maths again at over 200 or close to $250,000 a year just in rent. So there's only certain scenarios in which a home like that can be rented, but when it does, that's quite an income indeed. Moving on now to bad landlords, bad tenants. Just uh, probably one article today in this section. And this one from the, I believe it's the New Zealand Herald. yes it is um, and this one's the headline says stink situation tenants had to travel 20 kilometers to have a shower tenants living in a house where the water pressure was so weak they couldn't shower in their own home for days will be compensated financially having to travel a 20 kilometer round trip just to wash the two showers had so little water pressure that tenants were unable to shower at the premises tenancy tribunal adjudicator ruth lee said in a recent decision Lack of shower access was just one of a plethora of breaches the group of five tenants, whose names are suppressed, claimed through the tribunal in August. Eves Realty Limited has been ordered to pay $5,510 to the tenants after their landlords deprived them of showers, storage and, in inverted commas, aesthetically pleasing yards. After having gone without a shower for five days, the tenants went on a 20km round trip to wash at a different rental. After that, one of the showers was working, but they had to wait five weeks for the second shower to be repaired at a time when they all needed daily showers, Lee said. It's not what they bargained for when they signed up for the tenancy. The tenancy started on December 16th last year, but the group unable to move in because cleaners were still working on the property when they arrived. It took just five days for the tenants to reach out to landlords, raising issues with the house that were found when they moved in. Most problems were fixed after the group issued a 14-day breach notice to the landlord just days before Christmas, but the group still had to celebrate the festive season uh, in the home. The landlord did fix the defects promptly, however the group had several other issues, including the fact they couldn't use the showers for days and had travelled this 20km round trip for five days just to clean sounds a bit over the top. That's okay. I won't judge. This is just the ruling. So the tenants sought compensation for a number of things, including missed work hours when they had to rearrange their move because the house wasn't ready and two weeks of storage when they couldn't use the shed. A skip ordered so the landlord could empty the shed, obstructed the tenant's driveway and front door access for five days. Boxes were stored in their house and cars over the Christmas holiday period and their reasonable peace was interfered with when the landlord and the group argued over storage issues. Expensive lawns and gardens were agreed to be maintained by the landlord, but they did not do enough to keep the growth in check. The tenants have incurred a loss of amenity value and that the grounds have been untidy and aesthetically, aesthetically unpleasing, Lee said. One tenant said they fell over and hurt their knee because of the overgrown garden, cutting across the path, and although the tribunal couldn't say the fall was fully to do with the gardens, it did contribute to it. The tenants did fall short, however, on an application for exemplary damages for the landlord allegedly failing to meet heating standards, which Lee dismissed in this claim. In the end, there is insufficient evidence to tip the balance and persuade me to displace the findings in the Healthy Homes Assessment Report, so I do not find the landlord in breach of this obligation, she said. Wow, so that's that's something which just shows it's... uh, Pays to get onto things as quick as possible uh, with regards to um, getting things resolved in these situations. Um, Probably important to note also that it's a very difficult uh, time of year to get work done and there were building shortages at that time. But nevertheless, the owners having to pay $5,510 in exemplary damages. So we'll just move on a bit here um, with regards to tenant matters. And investors are snapping up new builds at record levels. That's according to Good Returns um, on uh, landlords.co.nz. So mortgage property investors have plunged into the new build market with the highest number of purchases since 2004. CoreLogic figures show 32% of the new property sales went to mortgaged investors in the third quarter of this year. The average over the past five years has been about 25%. CoreLogic Research Head Nick Goodall says the trend is expected to continue as interest rates rise. The profitability of buying new as opposed to existing increases because of the ability to deduct mortgage interest repayments against rental income still applies to new builds. So the government has been giving advantage to investors who build as opposed to buying existing. So, however, across the overall market, both new and existing properties, mortgage investors' activity reached an all-time low of 20% in September. With prospects of capital growth, especially in the short-term dropping, combined with increased costs, it's getting harder for investors to make the finances work for another investment property, says Goodall. They may well be considering other investment options as interest rates rise, a one-year term deposit now averages just 4.1%. He says the property investment market has definitely become more complex to navigate with more regulation and prices falling, but investors haven't completely abandoned it. Opportunity is still around, but reduced competition means for anyone with the ability and the wherewithal to buy has a bit of power in their hands. So investors have decidedly stepped back from across the entire residential market, the latest survey of real estate agents by economist Tony Alexander and the Real Estate Institute of New Zealand shows However, there was no mass exit of of investors from the market either. For the time being, at least they appear to be sitting on the sidelines. The survey of real estate agents shows the biggest impact of the recent lift in mortgage rates on the overall market has been a 20-point deterioration in the number of agents seeing investors from uh, 28% down to 48% down. Investors have decidedly stepped back from the market anew over the past month. however, while investors remain rare in the market, the degree to which they are absent is less severe than earlier this year when the credit conditions were tighter and prices had not fallen as far as they have now. However, the survey has shown that there's been a further rise in the number of agents saying they are seeing more investors looking to sell. that percentage now sells six percent compared to minus six percent last month and minus twelve the month price. and so more investors. Uh, looking to sell, that could be under pressure because the time when you should sell investment properties, of course, is when the market is at its best. So it might be the biting of the mortgage interest rates, etc., making these properties not very profitable for the owners. So that's all we've got time for this week. It's been lovely having your company here on NPR, Manawatū People's Radio, Te Reo, or Rangi o Ngā Tangata o Manawatū. I'm Greg Watson. You've been listening to Property Matters. Uh, This is also able to be found on the npr.nz website or where all good podcasts are found. Thanks for listening and see you in a week's time.
0: If you enjoy this NPR podcast, please consider subscribing. Our podcasts are available on all major podcasting platforms apple podcasts google podcasts and spotify as well as the accessmedia.nz app support this show and others like it by giving a donation for more information go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate